0: Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 76, John 10 in A Dance with Dragons. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as Lies in Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and LiesinArborgold.com.
1: And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit or on the Mason Monthly Podcast. You also might know me as Arithmetric over on Twitter.
0: We are back with another Jon Snow chapter.
1: Surprise! Surprise! It's still happening. (laughs) Just Uh, in time for what might be a big winter snow. Yes, just in time.
0: We will not have a white Christmas or a snowy Christmas, unfortunately. No Jon Snow Christmas episode happening next week. No zombie episode? No, no. Very close to, though. We're about, what, three episodes off from having John die for our sins (laughs) on Christmas, but... Unfortunately, no, we will be finishing John up in January before we move to our new point of view character. Gasp. Gasp. If you're a patron, you might already know who that character is. Certain patrons at certain tiers get that foreknowledge, and I'm sure we will be releasing that information to more patrons very soon.
1: And of course, if you are one of those patrons who knows ahead of time, please keep it hush hush. Yes.
0: Dark Wings, Dark Words. Oh my god.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing that's not a secret. So we do have a Patreon episode this month. And this month, as part of all the His Dark material stuff that's going around, and of course, we're very excited about it, we are doing the Lantern Slides, which are these little vignettes at the end of each of the three main novels.
0: Yes, I'm very excited to analyze and explore those. We will be wanting to bridge the gap between the stars and between Sidigaze, as we get into The Subtle Knife next year. We'll also be covering the finale for His Dark Materials Season 1. You can expect that out sometime after Christmas. We will see when we can get that out. I know there's a lot going on with the holidays, and I know you guys probably won't be listening until you're on the drive home from your family, where you're putting miles and miles away from the beloved family members that you love seeing annually. (laughs)
1: I cannot tell the emotion that Chloe is trying to convey at this moment.
0: A relatable emotion.
1: (laughs) But which relatable emotion?
0: I love my family. It's just after many days with them, I know that I can go, having loved them.
1: Yes, I mean, that's true. That's true. (laughs) So along with that, let's talk about some of the things that we've heard. Some notes that we've gotten from our Aswoff family. We got an email from our friend Michael Yaney. Who said, I am currently rereading through A Game of Thrones, and I was just in the section where Jon saves Mormont from the other Othor. (laughs) Man, that was so long ago. (laughs) Oh, I forgot that that happened. No, I didn't. Books ago. So long ago. After he cuts off the arm, he describes the smell as cold which reminded me of you guys discussing john smelling melisandre as warm Mm. i don't know what it means i will leave that up to you professionals we are not professionals (laughs) Uh, what does it mean michael what does it mean what does it mean i do find that interesting though it's a good catch so thanks for sending that in we'll think about that. that there's a lot of melisandre this episode so i thought that'd be a good way to start us off perfect
0: We did get a message from our good friend Warren, who was commenting on our pronunciation of Salise. Apparently, one of us sounded like Salise when we pronounced it, or "slees," And he said, that wasn't an accident, was it? Love the social insight. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think that was an accident. I don't think we did it on purpose. Warren's the one that I remember most, but I saw someone else also commenting on that. And it makes me think, maybe this is something George is playing with. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe. I
0: could see that. Yeah, uh,
1: He does it with Othor, who <laughs> we just read about, so.
0: Yeah, very true. He loves wordplay, whether it's that, whether it's Cat and Elaine making Catalan, Cataline. That's true, 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 Yes.
1: True. And then we got another message from our good friend, Lojat Gomura, who's been sending a lot of really great information and history about the Sami people, indigenous people up in scandinavian areas for our his dark materials episodes lo says i just listened to your episode on john nine and thought i'd send you some aswaf thoughts for a change your framing of the free folks experiences is similar to that of indigenous people made me think of how many indigenous people in our world are some of the groups most affected by climate change for instance in sweden many sami reindeer herders are affected by how unpredictable the climate has become because of climate change like you know, this is the case in many places. While viewing the others as climate change is an incomplete metaphor, I think we can see parallels in how this changing climate affects marginalized groups most severely. If I remember correctly, you touched on this in a previous episode. In our world, imperialist capitalism has messed up our climate, and those groups with the least power bear the brunt of the consequences. and Aswath we're not entirely sure why the others have returned, but the nobles definitely do not care as long as it only troubles the free folk and the Night's Watch. The attitude that some in the Night's Watch, like Bowen Marsh expresses, is similar too. Let the free folk deal with this problem. Not to go into total tinfoil territory, but if it's true what some in the fandom posit that humans messing with magic has caused slash enhanced what's happening now in the story, then this parallel is even stronger. Those in power try to get more power, leading to unexpected changes in the climate, which most severely impacts indigenous people and other marginalized groups. Groups that they do not care about and already fuck over in other ways. Just Mm. some thoughts that I had when listening to the episode-
0: yeah, I mean, who has to clean up that mess at the end of the day? Gen Z. <laughs> Zoomers!
1: Uh, pew, pew, and and pew. us, we're going to be part luck, of that. guys. We millennials.
0: Hell no, we're going to drink through all the alcohol left in the land while
1: they figure it out. Or we're going to all be dead. Or that. Uh... <sighs> Yeah, I think that these are all interesting thoughts. I don't know yet if it's, like, humans messing with magic that caused or enhanced what's happening in the story. But it does tie into that parallel, if that is the case.
0: I mean, war doesn't help by any chance.
1: Yeah, and I know that some people have speculated, right? And I thought that that was um, an interesting theory. I forgot who I read it from a long time ago, that the increasing, like, wars and bloodshed or something in Westeros was part of what was... uh, stimulating the other's activity.
0: Mm. And we hear it in this episode later that the people that Alice does have at Carhold aren't enough to really, you know, keep things moving and grooving. They're gonna run out of crop. They're uh, yeah. gonna run out of food so fast. It's not looking good, especially in the North.
1: Yeah, that kind of gave me some more like Full Metal Alchemist like Brotherhood vibes, though. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I thought that this was interesting and, in, you know, pointing out more explicitly that Beau and Marsh has a similar attitude of like, let the free folk deal with this problem. I don't know that it's like the nobility in Westeros are like, they don't care as long as it only troubles the free folk in the Night's Watch. It's more just that they don't believe it's happening. Yeah,
0: and they refuse to believe it's happening.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's hard, right? Like, social media and the internet and having video evidence has changed a lot of the ways that people can now see mm-hmm. like bad things that are happening. They're like, oh, Wait, this actually is happening. It's harder to deny it when it's chronicled, and they don't have that. Maybe glass candles. You know, maybe someone glass candles it to everyone.
0: <laughs> well, without further ado, after uh, having our very own low corner on our Song of Ice and Fire podcast, now too, I love it.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. maybe Chloe will be. No, fired. again, she never gets fired for these. She only gets fired. Get promoted. You know, <laughs> promotion. Ah.
0: Well, we'll get into our lightning round, starting with the blind girl. Dreaming through her wolf's eyes as her own, are blinded, Arya undertakes a gamer challenge, the lying game. She duels with staffs with an acolyte later as well. She learns of the trafficked free folk in the harbor in Pintos and earns her vision back after skin changing into a cat.
1: Then we have a ghost in Winterfell, infighting and murder begins to crop up in the Bolton faction, and Abel's washerwomen come for Reek.
0: Tyrion 10. Sold into slavery, Tyrion convinces his master the bear on the platform is worth the coin. <laughs> they entertain Nurse's friends, and Tyrion wins a game of Sivas against Brown Ben Plum. They learn there'll be prime entertainment in the fighting pits of Marine.
1: Jamie 1. Jamie lifts a siege at Riverrun in Raventree Hall, coming across Brienne of Tarth afterward.
0: A queen in her own right. (laughs) Actually, though. John 10. John attends a wedding, visits a prisoner, battles wits at a feast, and finally is interrupted by the sound of two blasts of a war horn.
1: So the chapter opens with Melisandre performing a marriage ritual under a lore. I like the way that George opens this chapter where he tells it to us with just her giving a sermon then says, and then the wedding guest replied, and that's how you know it's a wedding. There's under a light snowfall with heavy wind from the east, and it is cold as an ice dragon's breath.
0: Hmm, what could it mean?
1: Why does it mean?
0: What does it mean?
1: What does it mean? <laughs>
0: George has said Verlore is based off of, well, a little bit of a couple things. Zoroastrianism and Catharism. Zoroastrianism has a few different rituals before the wedding, like respect of the dowry and the silver plays a big role. They light lamps together. They offer a silver coin to it. They dip hands in water and leave a coin to signify the dowry's Blessing, etc., but neither have a wedding ceremony with Catharism rejecting traditional Christian marriage. They don't have anything special, right? They have a ceremony, but they don't have any sort of ditch jumping, flame spinning, fire <laughs> stuff happening. And the fire spin is really what's interesting compared to other Westerosi weddings. It, adding the snow into the background of the fire is just so nice. It's a very nice scene. This is probably one of the last happy moments in John chapters.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, so I'm as you're saying this, I'm kind of wondering, like, what happens if, you know, one of them doesn't make the jump, you know? What if they just, like, fall in the ditch during the wasn't marriage Wasn't meant ceremony? to be. Like, damn. Just
0: wasn't meant to be.
1: <laughs> you gotta, like, get real spry before your wedding. A line that I found interesting from Mel's sermon says about Relore Yours is the sun that warms our days, yours the stars that guard us in the dark of night. So, Rolor is associated with the sun and the stars, but interestingly, not the moon. Hmm. hmm. Just found that interesting.
0: That is interesting. No moon, no light. Ghost is the only one who doesn't seem to feel the cold. Alice is whispering in John's ear, telling him her lady mother said snow meant a cold marriage. John watches Selise, thinking that she must have gotten married <laughs> in a blizzard to Stannis. She's surrounded by her ladies, which are a few. Woman and serving girls and knights beneath an airmine mantle. She looks frail, pale, and small, and her smile is frozen in place. I love this line about her, or two lines about her. She hates the cold, but loves the flames. He had only to look at her to see that. A word from Melisandra, and she would walk into the fire willingly, embrace it like a lover.
1: Thinking face emoji. Interesting. Yeah. Obviously, would she? we're thinking about denarius right that's all interesting so while salise is embracing her cold courtesies her men are not holding up the same because bruce is over here he's half drunk maligorn is fondling a woman narbert is yawning and patrick is angry but is patrick not always angry throwing it out there john (laughs) gets why these are the queen's men and not stannis's men ouch Uh, yeah uh all we need is the person throwing up in the plant (laughs) and then you're you've got a complete wedding
0: that's a real wedding
1: i mean that's a real thing that happens
0: the night is dark and filled with terrors melisandra sang. alone we are born and alone we die but as we walk through this black veil we draw strength from one another and from you our lord her scarlet silks and satins swirled with every gust of wind Two come forth today to join their lives, so they may face this world's darkness together. Fill their hearts with fire, my lord, so they may walk your shining path hand in hand forever.
1: Lord of light, protect us, (laughs) cried Queen Celise. Other voices echoed the response. What was that? That That was very, uh, that was southern, very southern. It sounds, I think it sounded right. I think I nailed it.
0: The couple stands across from Melisandra on the other side of the ditch where the fire burns. Celise, Shireen, and Patchface stand behind them like bobblehead goths. <laughs> Shireen is wrapped in furs. Oh my god, it's the it's cutest the thing ever!
1: Best scene in the whole chapter.
0: It reminds me of another Baratheon. Wrapped in furs. Well, not really a Baratheon, I guess. A Lannister. It reminds you of Tommen wrapped up in uh, his clothes in the training yard in Winterfell. But Shireen is wrapped in furs, and she's very stout and round and puffy, with little smoke puffs of white coming from her face where the scarf is wrapped all around.
1: I imagine them as, like, you know those those squishables? Those, like, big round uh, plushes? Yes. um, I
0: love it. She's just like a little bear cub.
1: She is... (laughs)
0: it reminds me of how sansa is wrapped up in a storm of swords when she is wrapped up all tightly in her blue and white rabbit furs and just like a little puffy bear i love it i love winter being here
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah just because shireen's precious the queen's men surround them and a few of the night's watchmen have come to watch as well with more looking down from the rooftops and windows on the display it's not crashing the wedding they're invited
0: yeah, but going to the wedding is making a choice. Yeah. And the choosing has always been hard. <laughs> oh my god.
1: John takes mental notes of who was there and who was not, because yeah, some of them actually had chosen not to come out of disapproval. For example, Othel Yarwick and Bowen Marsh. Septon Chael, though, who is not the same as Septon Solidor, watches briefly from the Sept, but then as soon as Melisandre starts reading her prayers, he heads back inside.
0: Yeah, I mean, to him, this is heresy. Yep. There, It's one thing to accept the old gods. Like, that's one thing to be like, all right, you freaking weirdos with your weird trees. Sure, whatever. But accepting this big red god, that's heresy.
1: Yeah, especially because she goes around burning his guts.
0: Yeah. She raises her hands and the fire leaps toward them to meet the snowflakes. The ditch fire leapt upward through her fingers like a great red dog springing for a treat. This reminds me almost of the show when she did this at the trenches of Winterfell in season mm. 8.
1: It's interesting that you see that because my image was Clifford the Big Red Dog, but...
0: We all look up at the same books and see so many different things.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, you know, I'm the Makoro, as in I'm reading it right. Great Red mm. Dog, Clifford, springing for a treat. Interesting. <laughs> so Melisandre prays once more. Oh, Lord of Light, we thank you, she sang to the hungry flames. We thank you for brave Stannis. By your grace, our king, guide him and defend him, R'hllor. Protect him from the treacheries of evil men and grant him strength to smite the servants of the dark. Grant
0: him strength, answered Queen Selyse and her knights and ladies. Grant him courage, grant him wisdom. Was that better?
1: Yes, we should actually have intentionally started including more Selyse quotes. Opportunities.
0: I don't know, yours was great though. We gotta have another one of those. Wow. I'd like another couple of those. By praying for Stannis at the Nightfire, this marriage kind of shows that it's not just about mm-hmm. Rhaelor blessing them, it's also about Stannis. Uh, they're blessed not only by Rhaelor but by Stannis' campaign for Kang in the way that Selyse and Melisandre pray about Stannis here.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and On one hand, it's great for for them, for Alice, right? But uh, it doesn't look good for John.
0: Not so much. It
1: looks really bad for John.
0: Really bad. (laughs) Alice is growing impatient and asks John how much longer. She says she'd like to die in the snow a woman wed at worst.
1: (laughs) There are some weddings that are too long.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and Melisandre is starting to carry on a little bit here.
1: She's being repetitive. She said this shit at the beginning of the chapter.
0: Like, we already know you worship Stannis and R'hllor. Let's get over it. Melisandre calls Alice forward, and he, who she would be joined with, it's still a mystery at this point. I think it's very well crafted that George keeps it a mystery for a little bit. John turned to Alice Karstark. My lady, are you ready?
1: Yes. Oh, Yes.
0: You're not scared.
1: The girl smiled in a way that reminded John so much of his little sister that it almost broke his heart. Let him be scared of me. The snowflakes were melting on her cheeks, but her hair was wrapped in a swirl of lace that Satin had found somewhere, and the snow had begun to collect there, giving her a frosty crown. Her cheeks were flushed and red, and her eyes sparkled.
0: Winter's Lady, John squeezed her hand.
1: Right before this, I want to say quickly... Well, this imagery feels, uh, Night queenish, ish
0: Mmm, with the frosty crown.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's all.
0: My follow-up to that is, we know where that lace came from. Satin. Is it? It's gotta come from Satin.
1: I mean, I don't know. It could have come from... He He might have found it amongst all of the, you know, Silesia's ladies and so forth. I mean, he gets along, as we see with some of Siles's like, not the noble women, but mm-hmm. he could have, like, talked to one of them and been like, yo... Steal maybe me a lace, please.
0: I prefer the idea that he just has bolts of beautiful fabric hanging around in his chambers.
1: Yeah. He could have just become a Head merchant.
0: <laughs> as far as weddings go, this is obviously one of the happiest weddings in this book. Uh, just a handful of chapters before, we had Jane and Ramsay's wedding, which was a very horrible affair. Fuck. And, <sighs> right? <sighs> and Daenerys and Hisdar's marriage is happening as well just a couple chapters before. In contrast to those, Alice's wedding to Sigourn may be to escape a terrible fate. We've seen a horror echo of this in some of the earlier books, like Donella Hornwood or the later Jane, but when they jump over that ditch together, Alice and Sigorn, it's like taking a leap to faith, much like Theon's about to do yeah. in his chapters. Alice is setting aside her personal wants Her childish dreams of marrying the Stark of Winterfell, and she does her duty to ensure her and her people's survival. She's carrying on the legacy of her house and trying to do what's right at the same time, remaining open-minded in light of her new husband. Daenerys and Alice's weddings, being next to each other, are similar. They marry their new husbands for peace for their people. But for Daenerys, it's a little different. This is what I wanted, what I worked for. This is why I married Hisdar. Why does it taste so much like defeat? Alice and Sigourn have similarly aligned interests and ideas where Hizdar and Daenerys are very different. Alice and Sigourn's wedding feels a bit more hopeful, like Rosalind and Edmir seem to be with each other at their wedding, a chance at uniting two parties who have previously been at odds, uniting two people. But the biggest thing to take from this is that It's a political marriage. That's Mm -hmm. what it has in common with the marriages we just talked about. It's a political marriage done through a religion not commonly accepted in the North in the middle of a huge PR fuck up. Like the whole thing about Alice and marriage is that it's like Rosalind and Edmure's marriage. It's like Daenerys and Hisdar's marriage. That's the problem. It's like that. It's a political wheeling and dealing. Yeah. There's a commercial break for Stannis in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I I think I almost wonder, because we see the way people act at the reception in a bit, and everyone's like pretty happy. It's like, as you were saying, this is like the one last happy thing before the rest of Jon's chapters. And I wonder if that's why you have the commercial break for Stannis of like, look, political marriage, but Stannis will bring you more weddings and happy times,
0: if you vote for Stannis. Yeah,
1: Stannis, the guy you associate with great parties and happy weddings. And it's like, that's not <laughs> not The narrative he usually pushes.
0: This is false advertising. Yeah,
1: yeah. But he's branching out.
0: Especially because if he was there, he would be like, ah, I don't know, whatever, sure.
1: Man, he would have made this party really lame if you think about it. Yeah, he would have married her to Patrick. No, he wouldn't. Because remember, John says to uh, Axel, right? That Axel says, Sir Patrick feels he would have made a better match for Lady Alice. His ha- lands were lost him when he came north. And John says, There are many in this hall who have lost far more than that, and more have given up their lives in service to the realm. Sir Patrick should count himself fortunate. And Axel Florence smiled, The king might say the same if he were here. Right. So I think, I mean, Stannis wouldn't have made the choice to marry Alice to a wildling, but he also probably wouldn't have picked Sir Patrick.
0: Yeah, maybe Massey.
1: She could do worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you and I have discussed before, you have a huge crush on Justin Massey, so...
1: Or maybe I just like the Justins. Justin Massey. J- nope, that, that guy's named Jason. Jason Malister. Never mind. Do
0: you have a crush on Jason Malister? I didn't think you had a crush on him. He seems like a dad. Oh my god. So we finally get the reveal of who Alice Stark is marrying, and it is... The Magnar of Then, who stands by the fire in his finest battle furs and leathers and scales, a bronze sword on his hip.
1: at number three oh behind the door.
0: His hairline makes him look older than he is, but John thinks he can see the boy in him as well, whether it's from the fire or if Alice actually did scare him.
1: <laughs> I love that. Um, also I like that John is the one person what like looking at the groom. That's beautiful. Right? <laughs> Reminds me of 27 Dresses. Oh my god. <laughs> which is one of my favorite romantic comedies. And where they're all like, I love looking at the groom to see his face when he sees his bride for the first time. That's John right now. Melisandre asks... Who brings Alice to be wed? And John steps forward to announce her. Melisandre then asks who claims her, and Sigourn steps forward. Melisandre begins their vows, asking if Sigourn will share his fires and warm her when the night is dark and full of terrors. He promises his breath on the air and snow on his shoulders. Aw.
0: So sweet. So tender.
1: This is actually kind of a tender wedding.
0: (laughs) So he says to her, I swear me, by the Red God's flames, I warm her all the days. And it reminds me of another marriage uh, in a couple ways, especially with the stars and sun imagery earlier, like what you were saying. His face was a copper mask, yet under the long black mustache, drooping beneath the weight of its gold rings. She thought she glimpsed the shadow of a smile. Is good name, Daenerys' wife, moon of my life, he said. Mm. Hmm. Similar just in framing.
1: Also a political marriage.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Melisandre turns to Alice, then, and repeats the questions. Now Alice says she will share her fires with Sigorn and keep him warm when the night is dark and full of terrors. But her response isn't saying all that. She says, till his blood is boiling. <laughs> Amazing.
0: <laughs> her maiden cloak, we'll touch on it a bit, is a Night's Watch cloak. And the sunburst of Karstark is created out of the lining fur, which is white. Melisandre beckons them forward through the flames, and they hold hands and leap the ditch of flames.
1: Two went into the flames, one emerges. What fire joins, none may put asunder. The Queensmen, Fens, and even a few of the Black Brothers repeat back.
0: What fire joins, none may put asunder. Thank you. As much as we get that welded imagery of ice and fire throughout these novels, the wedding is very much like a forge. With Azor Ahai's forging of Lightbringer, the marriage being forged in light of the Lord in love is a great imagery. But the happy new couple, who has forged a new family, house, and new alliances, gets to skip over the flame, emerging from it, fleeting and missing it. Not everyone gets to survive their wedding to the flames.
1: Yeah, what if they fell in?
0: Or they get tied to a stake and they're burned.
1: Yeah, that too. It could happen to anyone. (laughs) Truly. Like, a guy, you know, who's into, like, wearing bones, whatever. Anyone. I do kind of wonder about the idea of forging, meaning it can't be taken apart, with the whole, like, cannot be put asunder because I'm going to just gesture wildly at Ice, the sword, taken apart. That's all. That's all.
0: Yeah, exactly what I was thinking with the forging. It's very much so, like, this was... The two swords that went in and came out as one.
1: Yeah, but it can go in as one and come out as two.
0: That's like an exception, not a rule. I'm just kidding.
1: A lot of swords can be put in and taken out as two.
0: You don't know things, okay? (laughs) So not everyone is happy about this forging of the two houses. Like Alice's uncle, Cregan. He showed up the night after Alice did with four mounted men at arms, a huntsman, and a pack of dogs. Again, lots of Ramsey tones here with this mm-hmm. whole escaping some terror. They were hunting her. Mm-hmm. John met them down on, the King ro- down on the King's Road, south of Molestown, before they showed up to ruin the wedding and try to claim guest right or ask for parley. One of the men shot a quarrel at Ty, and he died for it, which left four men and Cregan. John had them locked in the almost vacant ice cells. The other guys are having a long sleep that are down there right now, so don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> the Thuns also have no heraldry, because heraldry ends at the wall. So the stewards improvised and created a bride's cloak for Sigorn to lay on Lady Alice. It's a bronze disc on white wool, surrounded by crimson silk flames. And it actually really echoes the Karstark sunburst. But House Then also has its own design in it as well. Sigorn was a lot less gentle about ripping off the maiden cloak, but the bride's cloak was put on sensitively, gently on her shoulders, and then he kisses her cheek after.
0: The fact that her original cloak that they made for her was made of a night's watch cloak really symbolizes that political statement that the wall supported and created this marriage between the Thens and the Karstarks. Mm. In a way, I love it. That cry of freedom from the oppressed, It's not a good look, the wall participating in terms of staying out of the realm, but they are doing what's right in a manner of speaking here in housing Alice, who's being preyed on for her claim. And he does it in thinking of his sisters, who he was supposed to forget. But his sisters are out there doing things in his name while they should also be forgetting him as well. So rules schmools is what I say.
1: He's thinking of his sisters who he didn't want someone marrying off to Randos those two. It's it's interesting, but I do like that point. I'm just thinking that the wall could rent itself out as a wedding venue if it needed (laughs) some extra cash. There's also the aspect of John noting that the sigil right for house then is heavily inspired by house car starks and mirrors it. And I mean, it's a house that's created to an extent for, to, to forge this Alliance, but also like who's going to be, who's going to be ruling How's that? Who's going to be really ruling Sigourn?
0: Yeah, Alice will for sure. <laughs> you can see it sure already.
1: Sigourn's ready.
0: He needs he, it, truly.
1: He wants it.
0: Sometimes they just want that, you know? That's fine to want that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, Sigourn.
1: No, Not I like it. you. I like it. I'm into it. John and Molly and Owen exit the ceremony. John needing to address matters with Salise. First, before attending festivities and getting mulled wine, he walks towards Celise, noting how difficult it is to cross the snow packed grounds each day, and the wormways, those underground tunnels, uh, are becoming of more use. Celise is telling anyone who will listen how beautiful <laughs> the ceremony was, and how Stannis still hasn't allowed her to have a ceremony to renew their vows under Rallor, even though it would surely boost her fertility.
0: Sure, Jan. <laughs> And the big joke here, of course, is that even at the wall, it's common knowledge Stannis wants nothing to do with banging Celise anymore. Also, Stannis is a practical man, and he knows a whole wedding shindig, while great for morale, would not work mid-war while he's trying to win over a nation.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like, no, that didn't work well for them. I was gonna be like, it worked great for things about it. None of nope. the previous. They all are uh end up being very intense weddings. Catelyn and Rob,
0: a wedding could really boost the morale.
1: Yeah. Wow. Also, the <laughs> Lannisters, Joffrey <laughs> and all of them, Tyrion and Sansa. Ha 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 ha. That that was not a boost in morale at all for anyone. This yeah. I think this wedding was a good boost in morale, but anyway.
0: Yep. Yeah, a boost in morale to kill Jon.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> John has a lot of really great side thoughts in this chapter. Uh, one of them here is he's like, Stana says to like, get in bed with Sleeze first. <laughs> it's gonna boost her fertility. Like, step one have sex. <laughs> John tries to usher Sleeze to the feast, and she's like, uh, no, Melisandra can show me the way. But Melisandra's like, no, I can't. I gotta tend to the night fires. And Sleeze is like, oh, uh oh. <laughs> How am I going to find my way now?
0: Yeah, she couldn't possibly just walk across the yard to the Great Hall.
1: I mean, that she- would be
0: too easy.
1: She's been here a while now, right? Like, how hard can it be?
0: If you're there for like a week, you have no excuse. It's just lazy at this point.
1: There's like three usable rooms. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything else you can't go into. John offers Satin to guide them, and Maligord is like, We don't need that boy and there was a pause and john fills in the blank in his head about what maligorn wanted to probably say yeah more
0: like the blanks because there were a lot of words that he probably wanted to say
1: yeah and he said hold on boy it's okay
0: yeah john watches the royal ducklings fall into line as they cluck off to the feast Patchface's bells are ringing as they go and he sings a song Under the sea, the mermen feast on starfish soup, and all the serving men are crabs. I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. Little speculation on this one. This is my spicy take on it. I've finalized a spicy take. I think the starfish in this song are akin to the Bolton's flayed man with the limbs extended. The crabs switch over to the merman's side while scavenging at Winterfell when the merman serves starfish soup.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. Yeah. that. So my good friend Hamfast42, some of you may know uh, his essay, The Quiet Lion. You may also know that he is a big love of crabs. He might have uh, speculated that the crabs were referring to ice spiders. That's that's one of his theories that the ice spiders are crabs, but
0: hmm.
1: I don't know. I just wanted to shout him out with crabs. So,
0: Yeah, he uh, had a great panel last year with Sir Dunk the Lunk. At Ice and Fire Con, they did the tinfoil panel, and it was very fun.
1: Yeah, it was. They had tinfoil hats and everything. <laughs> the only people that could ever
0: do that panel. Melisandre gossips to Jon about Patchface, saying he's dangerous and that she sees him in her fires with skulls about him and blood-red lips. Concerned about Stannis's fate, since they dispatched a bird to warn him of the Karstarks, Jon comments that she's seeing Patchface but not talking about Stannis. Tycho had also left to find Stannis with the guards John offered, but the winter is raging so hard, he's starting to think it's l- unlikely he'll reach him. Melisandre says Stannis has to be alive because he's the chosen one, Azor Ahai reborn. John thinks that's kind of doubtful because Stannis is a stag and not a dragon. What does it mean?
1: What does it mean? <laughs> also in the context of John, we don't know that he's Azor Ahai reborn. He's obviously one of the candidates and I'm just throwing it out there. Apparently, you don't have to be alive to be a candidate. I
0: controversial take feel like it's silly to assume one person actually is Zora High.
1: I also feel that way.
0: Cool, glad we're on the same page. And that doesn't even mean that there's several. It's also kind of like maybe Azorah High was just Azorah High at the time of when Azorahai High was Azorah High.
1: Yeah, I I also think that like I don't know that we're ever going to get the answer. You know? Yeah, I agree. Or I prefer that.
0: I think it's more Azorahai's actions are what are, are something that directly did or did not cause something. So I think that's where the important part is to look at. Yeah. You know? Like if something Azorahai did is what they should be replicating, or what someone will replicate, not necessarily being Azorahai.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean reincarnation isn't like it doesn't seem like it's an established thing in this universe. No. Mel can't see Mance either. Just Snow, ah, snow, snow n- Ned. <laughs> I was thinking the same. What does uh, it mean? Uh, Ned sweating bullets from beneath the grave. <laughs> but she sees John too, and the danger that he will soon be in. True, John tells her, "Oh, your flame reading isn't quite on point." Because you know what, Alice wasn't Arya. Thanks, old fucking lot, Mel. I was real stoked. She says that she's just mortal like he is, and warns him to keep. A- ghost beside him he takes his leave of her to check the prisoners in the very small ice cells ice has formed around cregan Karstark in his cell which smells kind of like shit but not as bad as it could be because it's frozen so (laughs) he's like this is a like this was a benefit
0: a benefit of the ice cells apparently later cregan Karstark starts throwing his frozen shit at people who open the door
1: It's great. I hate uh, Kriegen Karstark, but I respect the hell out of throwing frozen
0: poo. You know, this is kind of building up that ice cell with the whites waiting to go off as well. He's likely going to be in there when they're set loose, isn't he?
1: Mm-hmm. Is he going to? I hope he throws his poo at them. <laughs> oh my god, that's the scene that I deserve. Cregan uh. tries to claim guest right, but Jon's like, "No, you came here armed with intent to harm at the wall." And that we did not invite you, in fact. And you were going to kidnap your niece. So you are not a guest. You are a prisoner. And your niece is now a woman wed. Cregan feels like Alice is being stolen from him. Interesting. And begins to talk about the promises his lord father had made. Hold on, I'm going to quickly say. Interesting if he feels like Alice is being stolen from him. Because uh, that's what the wildlings do, right?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Bail the bard. Huh. <laughs> It's all juxtaposed really well against Robin the Karstarks, right? Mm-hmm. It was no murder, sir, said Lord Rickard Karstark, no more discomfited by the ropes about his wrists than by the blood that trickled down his face. Any man who steps between a father and his vengeance asks for death. A storm of swords, Catelyn three. It goes really well when we consider the Karstarks have been set up as kin to the Starks, early as Brand 6 in a Game of Thrones. John helping Alice is a betrayal to Cregan, but to John, not helping Alice would be worse than betrayal and hurting his kin. He's affected here also by when Cregan says his Lord Father. Uh, it seems that kind of triggers him to immediately go darker at Cregan about it.
1: Yeah, because John then corrects him. He's like, mm, Your father wasn't a lord, he was a castle in. And then he gives him a whole lesson on succession. It's like, a son comes before an uncle by all laws. Also, daughters come before uncles as well. And again, Alice and Sigorn have married now, and Carhold is Alice's. Well, it's it's her brother's, but he's like, it's gonna go to Alice, so... Too bad, Cregan. Sucks to suck.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Cregan is displeased at all this, and he's displeased at the filthy, murdering wildling that Alice has married John surveys his proud northern wear, emblazoned with the sunburst of Carhold, and then Cregan says to him,
1: I see what you are, Snow. Half a wolf and half a wildling. Baseborn get of a traitor and a whore. You would deliver a highborn maid to the bed of some stinking savage. Did you sample her yourself first? ha ha ha, he laughed. <laughs> If you mean to kill me, do it and be damned for a Kinslayer. Stark and Karstark are one blood.
0: My name is Snow.
1: Bastard.
0: Guilty of that, at least.
1: I do enjoy John's smugness here, because I think we're seeing once again something that we've seen in previous chapters, where John has a very, very intense knowledge of inheritance, because for him it was a matter of survival in Lady Catelyn's household he's internalized all of these so that he may never be accused of going against or hurting his siblings and so he's snubbing his nose at cregan who had some rights as a trueborn noble not not to inheritance like right away but for being overgreeting, overstepping when he a bastard who is constantly accused of jealousy and of wanting to steal things before he's ever even done anything, refused Winterfell. And this actually reprises itself in in his conversation with Axel Florent in a bit. But um, going off of what Chloe was saying about family, like, you know, John calls himself Snow here and claims that as a sort of way to deny that blood shared with House Karstark and kind of absolve himself of any responsibility to Cregan. Um, But he does, as you said, uh, feel much more responsible to Alice. He brings up Alice also brings up their blood ties, but she does more than that. She brings up their blood feud and is like, so are we chill? And I think part of it comes down to, yeah, John's being selective about it and like who's family and who's not here. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with Alice uh, resembling Arya. And that's why John feels like Alice is more a family to him he keeps like seeing Aria in her and he even notes these snowflakes on Alice's cheeks and in her hair as he's about to give her away uh, to be wed, which is one of John's strongest and last memories of Rob, right? The snowflakes melting in his hair. And then he remembers it about Sam too, and says it to Sam love the snowflakes are melting in his hair because he sees Sam, also as his brother, his new brother. Mm-hmm. So that recurrence of like that motif of snowflakes in the hair shows that John feels familial towards Alice, and that's why he protects her.
0: Yeah, this is a great exploration of these familial bonds with John, right? It's not just about Sansa and Arya and Bran and Rick and Rob. Um it's about the North in general, he feels bonded to the North. John really is at home in the North, and I think that's what the biggest shame of watching him at Castle Black make these choices is, is because he's good at it. He's mm. doing a really good job of, you know, making political alliances, securing grain and political dealings with Tycho to make sure that his people, quote-unquote, are going to be safe. Uh, the problem is just it's the wrong time and place and setting. We're yeah. seeing him face once more, an enemy who's against him in that same way Marsh or Thorn seem to be against him, even using the same pathos and insults when speaking to him, right? Talking about his dad, uh, the way Karstark is insulting Ned and Jon's unknown mother speaks volumes just like Stark with Rob. Lord mm-hmm. Stark looked instead at Catelyn. Tell your mother to look at them, he said. She slew them as much as I Catelyn put a hand on the back of Rob's seat. The hall seemed to spin about her. She felt as though she might retch. And of course, later on, there's a mother's folly. Lord Carstark rounded on Lord Umber. I name it treason.
1: The Carstark's really like trying to, you know, take things as far as they can.
0: Yeah, very critical of the Stark reign.
1: Yeah, every now and then I'm like, mm, it's kind of a stretch. Kind of a stretch uh, <laughs> when they make some of these claims. Uh, there was something that you said About John doing a fairly good job, you know? Like, it's, as you said, just the wrong time and place. Like, the wall's not the best place to be doing some of these politics. and But we know that he's right in a lot of ways, partially because we have his own POV. Mm -hmm. And it kind of makes me start to question, like, how many of... The Lord Commanders in the past, right? Like Jor Mormont was mutinied against. But how many like Lord Commanders in the past that were accused of trying to become a king beyond the wall or overstepping, right? How many of them really were, or how many of them were like actually like just trying to do progressive things, and everyone was like, "I don't like that."
0: Absolutely, it's a great point. It's just a question. Probably many. Maybe. I mean, you have all of your rights stripped away from you. You're living in this penal colony.
1: Yeah, pretty much, and I mean, maybe some of them also tried to be like, what if we had peace with the wildlings? What if that was a thing that we were into? Yeah, what if? Especially much earlier on, when, like, the wall just happened to be there. Anyway, Cregan plays tough, saying Carhold won't stand Sigorn there, but Jon checks him in this too, telling him that the castle will fall to Sigorn's two hundred thens. They're all really intense warriors. Also, Alice has already networked into the castle, because if you yield the castle... The men can take the black, and the ladies will be pardoned. Also, doesn't he say, he's like, some of the guys that you came with are like, yeah, we pledged to Alice. It's chill.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. Cregan's not into this.
0: No, he's not happy at all. He is not down with this plan. He says he'll never go for it. He will not fall to them. And John is starting to get a little fed up, and the dragon kind of comes out. He thinks... I should make his head a wedding gift for Lady Alice and her magnar, John thought, but dare not take the risk. The Night's Watch took no part in the quarrels of the realm. Some would say he had already given Stannis too much help. Behead this fool and they will claim I am killing Northmen to give their lands to wildlings. Release him and he will do his best to rip apart all I've done with Lady Alice and the magnar. John wondered what his father would do, how his uncle might deal with this. But Eddard Stark was dead. Benjen Stark lost in the frozen wilds beyond the wall. You know nothing, Jon Snow.
1: So I like what I like about this is John doesn't wonder what Rob would do because we know what Rob would do. <laughs> <We> <laughs> he saw would
0: head Lord Rickard Carstark. <laughs> he
1: would. The whole uh, making a head, uh, making Cregan's head a wedding gift for Lady Alice. <laughs> Kind of reminds me of Joffrey for a second. A little bit. Yeah, being like, I should gift you your brother's head, Sansa. Not very <laughs> becoming of a king, John. No. But, it, I don't know. It's just funny. Jon decides to leave Cregan's fate up to Stannis. He's like, you're just gonna stay in prison. You know, you're just here now. Figure it out later. Play it by ear. Unless you decide to take the black, because you can, and it'll wipe all your crimes away he leaves. He's like, I'm gonna go back to the reception. And he arrives where Axel Florent is toasting Relore. I want to take a moment to pause and talk
0: about just some of the food. Just to get everyone in the festive food spirit this holiday. Onion broth with bits of goat and carrot. Coarse, warm brown bread. Like the kind you get at uh, Outback Steakhouse, I hope. I was
1: thinking the same kind.
0: Yeah, the sweet kind. You know what I'm talking about? What is that called? I don't know. I want
1: to say it's a pumpernickel.
0: But But that with salt and butter, which, of course, they're pretty sad. John's especially sad because the butter is going to be gone soon. Rations are almost gone. The heads of houses Flint and Nori attended in place of honor, having sent their kin with Stannis to Winterfell. They brought their own wet nurses as well, and Monster was content, and their own fighting men, too.
1: I will say, I think that the the onion broth with bits of goat and carrot, or a version of it, is in the A Feast of Ice and Fire. Yes, it is. So, if you need holiday dish ideas, check out A Feast of Ice and Fire. Anyway, I do think it's interesting. We don't hear much about the heads of either House Flint or Nori until dance. It's wild to me because we've heard of House Flint and Nori since Clash for Flint and Storm for Nori. There are a few named members, and a lot of them uh are from Brand chapters. Brand and John's stories obviously intersect quite a bit, though indirectly, so it's interesting to see that John's dance chapters kind of pick up on the politics where some of Brand's political clash chapters left off. I'm gonna do a quick overview of House Flint here. House Flint, interestingly, has cadet branches. You wouldn't think about it, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because they don't sound like, I don't know, they're like super big. They're over far in the mountains as a mountain clan, but they they are. We have old Flint, who is here who has a name. It's Torgan Flint, and he's from the First Flint, which I think is the most prestigious of the Flint houses. His two sons from two different wives are the ones who went with Stannis. And then you have House Flint of Widow's Watch and House Flint of Flint's Finger. And we hear of House Flint first. Mm. The first named member we get is Robin Flint, who went south with Rob and died back in Game of Thrones um, and was possibly Lord of Flint's Finger, not sure, not confirmed. Then we hear of a. The next we hear of a Flint is Lady Lyessa, who is Robin's mother, but she uh, is, I think, from Widow's Watch or is there, and she doesn't go to Brand's Harvest Feast because she's heavy with child and there's sickness at Widow's Watch. Interestingly, as far as I know, this child is never chronicled, like, in the wiki, and we don't hear anything about it since then. So what happened to the baby? Lady Lyessa. Did your pregnancy go well? Did it not? Was it worth it to not go to the harvest feast?
0: Tweet us, girl.
1: Yeah, questions for George. This is a bunch of questions. Other for Lyassa. Yeah, I've started writing these down. You know, along with the fate. What is the fate of Luceres II? Ares II's master of ships. I think that these are questions George would actually be willing to answer. So, you know, trying to get us, trying to get us like actual hits of information. It's not, not anything anyone cares about except for me. We also have a possible flint that died at the mutiny at Craster's Biome Flint. Then moving on to House Nori, I swear we do not hear of a single specific living nori until this book, until Dance, which is wild to me. All right. We have like Owen Nori, who was dead by the time we heard of him, slain at the Red Wedding. The nori that we have here, who is called the nori in the same way that Ned was called The Ned, right? Like, this is just a um, part of the dialect in the North. Uh, Flint is old Flint, right? So this, the Nori, is Brandon Nori. But it's not really helpful to tell you this because turns out his son is also named Brandon Nori. So (laughs) we have the Brandon Nori and we have just a Brandon Nori. In case you were wondering.
0: I wonder if they call all of the Brandons throughout Stark history the Brandon.
1: Oh, they must. Or the Bran. The Bran. That would get so confusing, especially if they're talking about like Harvest. They'd be like, The Bran <laughs> And they'd be like, The Bran? They'd be like, No, the Bran. Both houses Flint and Nori have intermarried with House Stark at one point an- or another. Later in this chapter, John references his father's grandmother. So Ned the Ned's grandmother, if you will. <laughs> who was a Flint Arya Flint.
0: No, I'm Chloe.
1: <laughs> Amazing. hired promoted <laughs> aria flint who is the mother of liara who is the mother of ned and his siblings and likely is who aria stark in the current day is named after interestingly both flint and nori houses are candidates of the heritage of the knight's king uh, we actually even have like a lord roderick flint who is a former lord commander and tried to establish himself as a king beyond the wall I'm a little curious, though, about House Flint, partially because of their name and, like, them being here, right? Like, in proximity with, like, a religion that has a god associated with fire. And Flint is, of course, known to be one of those things that people, like, use to help start fires. Is there something going on here that we're going to see that's important about them? I don't know. And, of course, one last thing with, like, brave Danny Flint. Right, who is dressed as a boy to join the Night's Watch and then discovered and raped at the Night Fort. Bad things happen at the Night Fort. And both of these houses also hate wildlings a lot because of where they are located. They're the ones who bear the brunt of the wildling attacks that include that looting, burgering, and carrying off of their women.
0: Yes, absolutely. So it's a lot to be wary of while they visit here, a lot to uh, try to pull off and impress them about.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: This marriage might not be as happy, They may not be as uh, many eyes of the old gods on it as Flint and Nori may be wanting, but uh, whether they're open-minded in the marriage or just thirsty and loving the southern wine, no one had spilled wine about the wedding yet. People continue to dance on the dance floor. Selyse and Axel, Knights and the Ladies, Shireen with Bruce, Narbert with the Ladies. There are very few ladies, so even serving girls are being brought into the mix. Even some of the brothers, like Ulmer of the Kingswood, could dance.
1: We have this quote, That old rogue Ulmer of the Kingswood proved as adept at dancing as he was at archery, no doubt regaling his partners with his tales of the Kingswood Brotherhood when he rode with Simon Toyn and Big Belly Ben and helped Wenda the White Fawn burn her mark in the buttocks of her highborn captives. Satin was all grace, dancing with three serving girls in turn but never presuming to approach a highborn lady.
0: So the Kingswood Brotherhood was a group of outlaws during Ares II's reign, if you don't remember. They kidnapped nobles, and Ares II sent Kingsguard to shut them down, but the small folk protected them. There was a song sung about their, uh, their, oh, tomfoolery, I guess we could call it. No man's gold was from them, nor any maiden's hand. Oh, the brothers of the Kingswood, that fearsome outlaw band. Arthur Dane had to charm the small folk to obtain their locations, and ended up petitioning the king for better laws for the small folk because of all this. Ulmer was a fearsome archer back then who helped brand people with Wenda, like the quote suggested, including and not limited to Merit Frey. I thought that was a oh. great tidbit, yes.
1: Huh, I forgot about that. Mm hmm. Wenda's weird.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Patrack watches Ulmer dance and obviously hates him. Very obviously. He wants to fight. Owen the Oaf and Patchface dance together, which makes Alice smile. She and John have some warm chatter about dancing at Castle Black, which happens apparently only when there are weddings, he jokes. She offers John a dance, as Sigourn isn't really a dancer, but John doesn't wish to intrude, so she requests a glass of wine from him instead. She speaks to him about her husband and his army, calling them wildlings, but John corrects her and educates her on the Thens' old history and the free folk. They have lords and laws coming from a hidden vale at the north end of the Frostfangs. Mance had to best Sigorn's father three times before he was accepted as king, and they make tin and copper for bronze and forge their own weapons instead of just stealing them. Alice jokes that she should have charmed his brother better, and that it was all her fault. John asks how her food stores are, and she responds, "Not great."
1: Yeah, I'll say I, I really enjoy Alice. Just kind of. Trying, and failing to low-key flirt with John. She's joking in this instance about failing to charm Rob, but it really isn't all on Alice at all. First of all, like, mm-hmm. how do you expect, like, what, six-year-old children to be able to do this? Like, what the fuck? And then second, like, we know from Ned's POV that it's mostly his trauma and the tragedy that befell his family because of betrothals and less about Alice charming Rob than, like, Ned's aversion To early betrothals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was his own trauma.
1: Yeah. So there's reduced manpower at Carhold and too much rain led to the withered crop. She expects there to be a lot of dead children and older people by the end of winter.
0: Carhold itself is on a forested river south of the Bay of Seals, so they're kind of coastal. It's likely they have some really heavy lake effect, right? Some Mm -hmm. heavy snow coming down on them. Uh, and John really empathizes with the story of what's happening at Carhold and relates to Alice by talking about Ned's grandmother, who was a flint, as we mentioned, of the mountains, where it's harsh and icy. They send their young off to serve at other houses or work in Wintertown in hopes of survival. As we've talked about before, the oldest go hunting and are found in spring or not. The Carstarks' land is cold and infertile enough in winter that they, too, send their men out to hunt, is what we learn from this. Their people are not that different. He offers Alice help when their stores dwindle and offers refuge for her older men, or her unable to say the word, and get food. They'll take boys, too.
1: Yeah, so through this, we've seen that it's not just Night's Watch customs that John is trying to change here. It's Northern custom. I think that'll be hard as well, because... I mean, I can't really say that this custom of men, old men, going out in the middle of winter, right, so that their family will have more food is new. But it's, like, definitely... More you. It's not something that was inherent to the first men, right? It's something that likely only arose after the long night mm-hmm. because otherwise there's that whole risk of them coming back as zombies, but whatever. John is just really trying to make ends meet here because yes, they have food at the Night's Watch and he knows that people will be desperate, but like a few paragraphs ago, he was like, We're gonna start running out of butter. Bo and Marsh has been telling him we're running out of food. They have salt at least. Boy, do yeah. they have salt. He's giving the men and the boys a place to go, um, not just for more hands for the Night's Watch, but also because the more of them that go out there and die, the more of them end up coming back as whites. It's kind of like a backup just in case. He's like really hoping that we don't get to that point where they cross the wall. And I, I just don't know how many are even going to take up Jon's offer mm-hmm. because, you know, this isn't a part of wildling culture. They're used to harder climates already. So they don't go out in the middle of winter to go die. This is something we hear from a couple of northern Westerosi, right, throughout that area. And it's a big tradition that I think is also rooted in a pride aspect. And we see that the northerners do have a lot of pride. So I kind of wonder if people are going to have a hard time overcoming that and overcoming that tradition and it could end up still leading to some refusal to joining the Night's Watch and therefore more whites south of the mm-hmm. wall. Yeah. Especially after the wall falls.
0: Either way, it's making your own enemies. Ugh. Yeah. So back at the feast, Elk is being carved. And John decides to send some, first, the very first portions, to Hardin's Tower. Some to Leathers, three platters of roast vegetables to one one. And then he finally cuts a slice for himself. This reminds me of the Harvest Feast. Right with Bran in a clash of kings, The serving men brought every dish to Bran first, that he might take the lord's portion if he chose. By the time they reached the ducks, he could eat no more. After that, he nodded approval at each course in turn and waved it away. If the dish smelled especially choice, he would send it to one of the lords on the dais, a gesture of friendship and favor Maester Lewin told him he must make. John's exercising one of the lessons he's learned in Winterfell, but who he's sending it to and who he's thinking of first is extremely telling here. He sends it to Leathers and One One. By sending them that first portion, the Lord portion, he's saying they're his honored, respected brothers. And that's great to us, but it's something his brethren at Castle Black might not appreciate so much.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Three-fingered Hob is the one who made the meal, and it was made quite well, but John has a concern in his mind of Hob's reaction when he was asked to cook the wedding. Hob had come to him two nights ago, complaining that he'd joined the Night's Watch to kill wildlings, not to cook for them. Besides, I never done no wedding feast, my lord. Black brothers don't never take no wives. It's in the bloody vows, I swear it is.
0: Was it Hannah that we had on recently? from Game of Owns that was saying that Three Finger Hob from the very beginning there were hints that he was part of the betrayal I think it was Hannah I can't remember who but somebody was on with us uh, and said that And more and more as I read this points to Three Finger Hob being yeah. on the unhappy side
1: yeah I mean he's right here he's probably like he's unhappy but he's not like Bowen Marsh or Othel he's like yeah I agree with that when they probably come to him with a plan or something
0: yeah absolutely Clytus appears with a letter for John, sealed with hard black wax. John already knows it's Cotterpike's words from Eastwatch in Maester Harmoon's letter. Eleven ships set sail from Eastwatch for Hartholm, three bravosi, four Lycene, four Watch ships, and two Lycene ships that were just barely sea-bound. He thinks they will drown more free folk than save, and says he'll send reports. Alice asks John, dark wings, dark words, of the news he received, who says it was what he was waiting for, but inside he's troubled. Glendon Hewitt is who has been left in charge of Eastwatch, a crony of Jano Slint and Alice Thorns briefly, and John recalls the harassment he suffered from Glendon Hewitt. If you recall, Hewitt pulled John from his bed a few books ago and called him a betrayer.
1: He also kicked him a few times.
0: Yeah, that too. For good not- measure. Not nice.
1: No, I could see John's concern, but, you yes. know, at least he and Cotter Pike still send letters.
0: Love letters.
1: As the fish course is served, Alice finally drags a drunk Sigourn onto the dance floor. He's like, all right, I'll do it. He dances. He's not very good at it.
0: But he's and, confident.
1: Yeah. He's like, all right, I'll do this for you. Alice, the true head of the house. Okay. I-, I will say until this moment, though, her wedding kind of reminded me a little, like, of Sansa's. Yeah. With all of her not dancing even though she wants to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No sooner than Alice vacates her seat does Axel Florence sit in it, commenting on Selyse's approval of the wedding, and saying Stannis would agree as well. But Patrick does not, he says, thinking he deserves Alice more than Sigorn does, as he lost his lands in aiding Stannis. Axel diplomatically states Patrick may be overreaching himself, but the knights surely deserve a reward for their good behaviors. He thinks Selyse would be most pleased if Val was wed to one of the Queen's men soon, and John is fucking exhausted because she's not a princess and he has no energy to keep explaining this. Axel goes on to describe Val as a sexy prize for the taking and impregnating, and John's like, so who would be putting these babies in her, hypothetically, you or Patrick? And Axel's like, me, a florent, of course this up-jumped motherfucking swear-to-fucking-god shit, just another auto-ass high tower up in this motherfucker just trying to supplant
1: himself. <sighs> yeah, but it's even worse, because he's like, I almost wonder if he just do- wouldn't even care if she yeah. were a princess or not. He's just trying to he, he's not even interested in the position, I think, So much as he's just interested in, like, yeah, trying to fuck Val. It's so gross.
0: Yeah! a little yeah.
1: He gets like real mad at John he's like so you're fucking her and he's like "He's like, you want to keep her all to yourself and he's like no. I could if I not. wanted <laughs> every now and then she sends me signals bruh. <laughs> he's like I think she's into me but I'm no. <laughs> John's out there like she's holding me hostage what are you talking about? Actually though he's like I'm not I don't even know what she's doing she scares me a little and he's like but I'm. it's true that is my type. <laughs> he's also like Axel straight up planned the wedding
0: already he's like Melisandre will say the marriage right it's like I have royal gardener blood it's perfect it's gonna be a perfect marriage and John's like this is great but you would also need Val for this to happen and yep. the jig is totally up right Axel's like where would you got her is she in another castle perhaps and John's like no your princess is literally in another castle Axel
1: <laughs> yeah the castle of the wilderness <laughs> She's going to come back and she's going to kick your ass.
0: I hope so. I'm really waiting for that. Axel even goes as far to insult John and say that he wants his father's seat, even though John's obviously refused this. All he had to do was ask Stannis for it back if he really wanted to.
1: I just want to say that would piss off Axel so much to learn that John, of all people, was just offered Winterfell. And just said no. Yeah. I mean, that right there
0: is like the mirror of Erised, bro. Like, only the person who doesn't want it, can have it. Yeah. John makes to excuse himself, and as he does, he's interrupted by two blasts of the war horn, signaling Tormund Giants Babe's arrival at last. <laughs> I like
1: the commitment to calling him Torm- Tormund Giants Babe.
0: It's the canon name.
1: It is the canon name. I don't know how George could just like end it on this, you know, in yeah. the chapter. It's almost like we should have done, there's a part of me that's like, ooh, I kind of wish we had done too, but also like...
0: Do you want to die? No. Uh, I honestly think it's perfect. It's a perfect suspense build. Like, you leave the wedding, you're like, all right, John's going back to his chambers, shit's going, you know, normal, and then all of a sudden it's... It's wedding crashers. Oh my god, (laughs) Torment Giants, babe. Wedding crasher.
1: Kinda. That is actually what's happening here, if you think about it.
0: I love it. Well, it'll be a couple weeks before you get to hear what happens with and Giants, babe. Uh, so stay tuned for that. We are off next week for the holiday. Even girls need a break, you know?
1: Yeah, we did take a break last year, everyone. So
0: we worked through the pain last year. So this year we're vacationing. Mom's on vacation.
1: And by that, we mean we have a His Dark Materials episode coming out that week. And so. a
0: Patreon episode the next week, too.
1: That's true. So <laughs> keep your eyes peeled for all of those. If you are looking for a series and you haven't been following the His Dark Materials series, want something to watch over the holiday season, it's an idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's going great, and we are wrapping up our coverage on it very soon. If you want to make sure that you follow that coverage, you can tune into our social media where we tweet about our episodes. You can tweet at us at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, or send us an email about your thoughts on the episode or a DM girlsgonecanon at gmail.com.
1: And of course, the best way to keep up with our episodes is to subscribe on one of the many platforms that we are on. We are on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Acast, on maybe other things. But of course, we are always on Podbean where all of these are hosted.
0: And if you're a patron, you have access to a special Patreon-only RSS feed, where for $5 and up patrons, we do upload special monthly episodes. Last month, we uploaded an episode about House Valerian, the dragons of the sea. Make sure you check that out and look forward to this month's episode, where we dissect the lantern slides that feature at the very end of each of the main novels in the His Dark Materials Trilogy. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Har!
0: Oh, my God.